Digital Marketing Radio, episode 127. How can e-commerce stores take advantage of email marketing? DigitalMarketingRadio.com Today's episode is brought to you by Aweber. Build your email list, engage your subscribers, do email the right way. I've arranged a special deal for all Digital Marketing Radio listeners, and that's a 60-day free trial for the email marketing software provider I use, Aweber. Lock in your 60-day free trial, plus view a video that I've recorded on the three reasons why I use the service at aweber.com slash DMR. So just go to aweber.com slash DMR to get started today. The Big Interview with David Bain. I'm David Bain, and this is Digital Marketing Radio, weekly interviews with online marketing gurus. Catch up with all the previous episodes at digitalmarketingradio.com. Now, today's guest has been featured in Forbes, Superfast Business, and Marketing Optimization TV. I've been on Marketing Optimization TV with Alex too, actually. But <laughs> My guest has built up a popular email marketing podcast, The McMethod, with over 200,000 downloads to date, and he's also co-founder of his own e-commerce email marketing company. Welcome to DMR, John McIntyre. David, it's great to be here, mate. It's the first, <laughs> first live. I think this is the first live podcast I've done, so I'm excited. Well, hopefully this will be the first of many. Hopefully this will get you into it, and you'll be recording all your own podcasts here from uh, <laughs> moving forward. So, well, you can find John over at uh, reengager.com. I pronounced it correctly, John. Yeah, reengager.com. Reengager.com. Yeah. So, um. Uh, e-commerce stores is obviously what, what what you're focusing on with with helping people with their um, email marketing methods. So, but I mean, why did you actually choose to focus on e-commerce? Oh, there's probably the short story and the long story. The, the short story is that you know I've been doing project based uh, project based marketing consulting for one of a better way to put it for the last three years, and I realized that a big limitation with the company that I built and the marketing that I built was that it didn't focus on a core target, uh, core target customer. It just was about email marketing, which mean meant that I attracted a very general audience, anyone from beginners all the way through to people with serious companies and everyone in between, anyone who was interested in using email marketing to get sales. So I realized that I needed to, number one, pick a core, you know, one customer, one specific type of person to target. And I also realized that, you know, one mistake uh, or one lesson uh, that I've learned is that recurring revenue, you know, it's not everything, but it's it's very important and it makes for a much more uh, consistent business. Mm. And so I also wanted a, you know, when looking for, a, you know, a, a target customer, I was looking for someone that would, would be able to, um, you know, where recurring revenue would make sense. And so for e-commerce, uh, e-commerce companies, they're very, it's a very specific target. They're very easy to find because they all use similar types of software. Uh, there's tons of them. It's a huge market. Uh, and they've got ongoing email marketing needs, which means there is a lot of potential for recurring programs. So what's the, the main difference, if there is any, for email marketing for an e-commerce store compared with um, maybe a consultancy business or, or another type of business? With email marketing, you have a lot of so with e-commerce, you, you, there's a lot, just a lot, of, a lot more different things you can do, and the, partly uh, the reason is probably just there's a lot more transactions going on. Right. Whereas if you're selling consulting, I mean, that you can get really advanced with it if you want to build out an entire sales funnel with different sequences and you know sub sequences and all of that. That gets very complicated, and probably only the only the best consultants or the best marketing, the consultants who are the best marketers are actually going to be able to do that. Um, 
And so what I found, uh, you know, to give you an example, is every e-commerce client that we work with is for the most part, they're all the same. They're different revenue levels, different products, but they have the same problems. They need the same campaigns. They use the same software for the most part. So it's very straightforward where, you know, when I'm working with different consultants and software companies and, and all sorts of different stuff, it means that every project we do is custom. So it eats, you know, it eats into the margin. It means each project takes more time and planning, uh, more brain power on my end to sort of, you know, think up, you know, and try and solve their problem. Uh, so, you know, I, I suppose that's really just a difference in e-commerce and, you know, a very general difference. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, with consulting, you're going to have someone visiting a landing page. Maybe you send them some emails and try and get them on the phone. Mm. You know, it's, that, that's pretty much your sales process. Um, whereas for e-commerce, you've got, you know, people who sign up first on the site, you've got card abandonment, you've got new customers, repeat customers, you've got people who don't open their email after 60 days. And, you know, all those things do apply uh, for a consultant, but because the transaction volume, uh, you know, for a good good consultant, if they've got, you know, 20 clients, they're doing 20 transactions and that's if they're monthly clients as well. Uh, whereas with e-commerce, you've got a store that's doing two or $3 million in revenue. They could be doing 4,000, 10,000 transactions a month, which means that all these little campaigns have a lot more of an impact. You, you mentioned transactional emails there. Um, for sending transactional emails, automated emails, you know, based upon um, something, I guess, a, a customer purchases or, or signs up to, is it worthwhile uh, always using a third-party platform like SendGrid to send these emails? Or do you find a lot of big companies are still actually using their own servers to de- deliver these type of emails? I mean, it's really a question here is like, do you have the, the bandwidth? Does the company have the bandwidth to focus on the deliverability issues, which is, it gets very technical, but it's into all, you know, there's basically what you see when you get an email, which is the, you know, the colors, the design, the copy, all of that. There's a lot of invisible stuff, which is in the, you know, in the coding of the email and what's called the, uh, the e- email header. Mm-hmm. And also there's a lot of factors there, which affects the deliverability of the email. They're very technical. And for a large company that's doing, I don't know where the threshold is, but for a large company like Amazon or you know any of the standard you know, retailers that everyone would know, the household names, they're going to have the resources to, to you know, focus on their own de- deliverability. And because they're doing hundreds of millions of dollars in sales or billions, it makes sense for them to invest the time to try and get it up an extra percentage point. Whereas for smaller stores that are doing you know, two, three, five, 10, $20 million, they're going to be better uh, better off spending their time and investing their resources in um, just other things. So you're going to be better off just outsourcing your, you know, the technical aspect of email to, you know, SendGrid or Clavio or the, you know, the various email software providers. Okay, okay. So I mean, if a business is actually doing email themselves and they have no idea on things like the deliverability rate, what are the main issues with actually sending out emails like that from your own server in general? Oh, I mean, this is this isn't really. I mean, I know a little. This, I'm very good on like the front end side of things, okay. looking at like what you know, what sort of copywork subject lines and stuff. From my understanding, though, it's things like the uh, the SPF records is a record in the header of the email, which um, you know affects whether it gets in. And if, as far as I understand, it tells the uh, the inbox like Gmail or Yahoo where the email is coming from if it actually came from you know your domain.com 
or if it can be faked. You know, so there's all these things because you can send an email from you know via a WordPress site yeah. and pretend it's from you know set the from email. You can do this with any email software at all. Um, you can set the from email as you know Larry Page at Google.com. Mm. That doesn't mean that Gmail is going to going to believe you that it came from LarryPage.com yeah. uh, because you don't have the right uh, SPF records and some of the other things in the email header in place. And so when you start trying to manage this stuff yourself, if you get it wrong, you can have huge deliverability problems. Um, so I, you know, like I said, it gets very technical. Like my thing is email, um, and that's what I focused on for the last four years. And I, you know, I, I to be completely honest, that's just not. I haven't spent much time in that area. Um, so if I don't know too much about it, I, I'd really be surprised if the average business owner knows much about it. Sure. No. I mean, I, th- I think um, all, all the average business owner is concerned about is obviously if they're sending emails out from their own server at the moment, how many of them are getting delivered? Um, is it potentially going to mean that um, they may get registered as a spam provider somewhere and um, will that actually impact themselves, their own personal emails that, that they're sending out and will that affect their domain as well? How dangerous is that? Uh, because it's it's difficult to know these kind of things, um, but um, mm. a lot of businesses are, are still doing that and probably playing with fire a little bit. Um, but it's, it's just challenging to actually quantify how much of a danger it is um, and you know whether it's absolutely essential for every single e-commerce store to to be just outsourcing this aspect of of, of sending emails or whether it's actually not that dangerous to to send emails out you know I'm just I'm just I'm just trying to get a get a feel for that yeah I would I would be if I was you know an e-commerce store if I was you know, an online retailer, I'd be using software, you know, that's pre-built. No, I probably wouldn't use SendGood. I'd use a platform called Clavio. There's other platforms out there. Uh, there's plenty of these are out there at all sorts of different price points, but I'll be using software uh, that I don't have to manage and own and optimize and make sure it's all compliant and everything like that. So I can focus on just selling the products, not worrying about the technical, technical aspects of it. And I think there really is a risk that people are going to be ending up in the spam box and the promotions tab. And the problem is that most business owners don't know how to find that if they're actually getting into the inbox. Uh, Cause it's not as simple as saying, well, you know, here's my open rate. Um, Obviously, you want to get that up, but you know you're going to have to go and use tools if you want to go and actually find out whether you you know what your delivery what your deliverability is like. And this is stuff that business owners can go and look up. But you know, the more time they spend on that area and managing that side of their business, the less time they're going to spend on more of the core business activities, which are going to drive it forward. So, yeah, my advice to probably a small to small to medium business owner is to absolutely use software uh, to uh, and to. Yeah, use the software and get the copy, do the design, do all that stuff yourself if you have to, but use software that someone else has built. Okay, uh, you know, great advice there because obviously, um, as a business owner, you should be focusing on what makes you money and what you're good at, certainly as well. And if if you start trying to do things like um, manage your own things in your own server, it's taking your eye off the the ball game, certainly. So, uh, what about yeah. what about business that's um, you know, selling things online, perhaps building up a little bit of database of customers who have bought something, but not doing anything that proactive apart from that with um, their email. Um, what are a few of the quick wins that they could actually do to do things like increase their, their average order value, um, their average spend per customer? Um, can email help, help with that? Absolutely. I mean, the first thing that most companies, uh, a lot of companies, well, it's, it's funny. Some companies are doing this, but the ones that are doing it usually aren't doing it anywhere near as effectively as they could. And it, there's a lot of companies that just flat out don't do it. Um, 
And that's, you know, the, easily the biggest win or the, the lowest hanging fruit win is uh, cart abandonment. And that basically means that someone's going to go into the website, add a product to the cart, click checkout, go and fill out their name and email address, and then they fail. Maybe their daughter comes up and eats some food. Maybe their wife distracts them. Maybe their internet browser crashes. For whatever reason, they don't check out. Now, 70% of people, that happens to 70% of people who add something to the cart. So a given business is using two th- losing two-thirds of their sales to cart abandonment. Wow, okay. And so what you can do is you can set up a, I mean, this is interesting, right? Because if, you, if you're talking about a million dollar, you know, online retailer, which isn't isn't a big business, you're, you're going to look at, um, they're going to lose, or they're losing $2 million to cart abandonment every, uh, every year, That's which is crazy. Yeah. Now, you can't get back all of that, but you know, a decent card abandonment sequence is going to bring back 10%, 15%, depending on how, you know, depends on the market, depends on how well it's created and written, how it's executed. So if you're looking at like a, you know, a million dollar business that's losing $2 million a year to card abandonment and you bump that by 10%, you've just given them two, you know, $200,000 with what usually amounts to two or three emails. So, so by cart abandonment, obviously you're talking about someone who is a registered customer with you already and you recognize the fact that they've gone partially along the way to actually purchasing something else or, or do you have their email address already? Uh, you, well, it could be both. Uh, you could have their email address already and you're tracking them when, as they visit the website because you've already got them in their database. However, the way, I mean, this is where technology is getting really interesting these days is you can have someone visit your checkout page and they go through the fields, right? Because usually mm. you put in your name and first name, last name, email address. And then obviously you press tab and you go to the next box, which might be your address. And that, let's say they quit, right? They get halfway through the address and then they quit. If they haven't clicked submit, then they might lose the, you obviously don't have their email address. That's how it used to work. However, today you can do this with, I think it's Ajax, there's a few different, um, basically set up a script that when they tab out of their, when they like take their cursor out of the email box, it automatically saves it to your uh, email software like that. And then you just set up what's called an if-then rule that says if they, you know, if the email address is saved here, mm. but they don't actually hit the confirmation page, trigger this email sequence. That's, that's incredible. And can you personalize that email sequence to obviously the products that they did view as their last page? I, w- I would imagine you can do that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. you'd absolutely want to have their 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 shopping cart in there. So yeah. if they've got three products in their shopping cart, you say, "Hey, look, you've left these three products in your shopping cart." It's you know everything that, that's in their cart should be dynamically populated into that email, including the images. Okay, and and what about doing some like proactive newsletters to people who maybe have have been on your site already but not come back for a few weeks at all? Um, is it important to personalize those kind of emails with the products that? Um, you've found that they've been interested in the past as well? Or in that scenario, is it better just to actually do a generic email with the, the, the hottest products that you're selling at the moment? It's going to depend. I mean, the size of the store, like, you know, if you get a small store, then it's probably going to make sense. Once again, it just goes back to where do you want to allocate your resources? If you're splitting out the database into small segments with a small store, it's just not going to produce a big enough return. Whereas if you got a you know $10 million store and you get a segment of people who spent $500,000 mm. in the last you know, 12 months, for example, you can run a campaign at them. You might, you know, generate $50,000. But for a small store, if you're only going to make five grand and you're going to spend three weeks putting a campaign together, it's not going to make as much sense. You're going to be better off, you know, doubling down on paid advertising, for example, or something like that. So there's, yeah, there's these different thresholds where it's going to make sense to get more and more dialed in. So, you know, someone like Amazon and bigger companies, they're going to put a lot of effort and time and money into 
uh, into finding these segments and, and emailing these people. Got you. Whereas smaller companies will be better, in, you know, better off spending uh, time and energy elsewhere. So in terms of e-commerce platforms, is it easier to integrate email with certain platforms? Is there other third-party services like Shopify or are they not as popular now as they used to be? You mean email software platforms? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, no, to, actually e-commerce platforms. Are there certain e-commerce platforms, uh, e-commerce software to actually sell your products and services, um, support your website, really? Uh, are there certain platforms like that that make it easier to integrate effective email marketing into it? Yeah, if you're using any of the big uh, the big main platforms like you know Shopify, Big Commerce, Magento, you're going to have a lot of integrations that are you know literally one click. You basically just log in, and uh, you've integrated the software. You're going to have to put like a tracking script on the site, for example, but that's it. However, if you're using like a custom software platform or some old school version of Yahoo Store, it's going to take a lot more. Um, you're basically just going to have to get a custom you know developer to build a custom integration. It's still, it's not impossible or anything, but you're going to be, it's just one of these things, right? When you got Shopify, which powers, I think the majority of the internet 1000 retailers, the mm. top 1000 internet retailers, um, just, you know, the integrations are going to get built for the companies that everyone uses. So is there any other method of communicating with customers that are getting just as important, just as popular as email marketing, text messaging, social media at all, or is email marketing still the king basically? That's a really good question, actually. I think email email is still very much probably the king in terms of the the stats that I've seen, the research. But uh, I'd say retargeting right. is is you know retargeting advertising is really coming up. You know, it's, it's really just another version of email. Yeah. Because um, you know email is just a communication mechanism that we use to you know bring people back to a website, back to a sales funnel, uh, to purchase again. And so we're doing that by sending them emails to their email address that they check every day. With retargeting, we're going to send them ads. Um, you know, if you think about it that way, we're going to send them ads to their pixel or their computer, wherever they happen to be in the world. Uh, we just don't need their email address anymore. So we send them ads on Facebook or on Google or display. So advertise just all over the internet. So I'd say retargeting is, is it helps to think about it in a similar way to email because it's just another device that brings people back. And of course, with retargeting, you can also upload people's email addresses as well and you can start to match people and, and well, do advertising based on that as well and, and google are, are br bringing that in as well over the next few weeks i gather as well so that'll be quite correct mm. it's getting interesting i mean clavio which is a email platform for our retailers so specifically for uh, e-commerce companies they're the, the problem with the facebook thing when you upload your audience you go to it's manual you've got to upload your audience but with clavio i don't know if it's uh, released yet or it's in the works but Basically, they get a real-time update. So as people join your list, they automatically get updated in the Facebook uh, API or they, with the API so that your custom audience gets bigger and bigger. Okay, um, so we're getting a we're um, for those of us um, those of you listening to this on audio, um, we're recording this live on Blab. Getting a, a couple of comments coming in now as well. Uh, Digital Market is saying not if you use Driftrock. It's a software. I'm, I'm not sure about that at all. You don't know anything about that at all, do you, John? I've never heard of Driftrock now. Okay. <laughs> Have a look for it. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Well, in the meantime, what we'll do is I'll segue into the second section of our discussion. So um, that'll focus more on your thoughts and where digital marketing has been in general and where it's heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. So what software do you currently use in your own business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? I like, well, I mean, there's the email marketing software, which I'm using. Uh, I've been using a... Uh, it's a is that getdrip.com. However, it's, it's really good. It's really simple. However, I'm probably going to be moving off that soon to ActiveCampaign just because 
for a few different reasons. Um, so in, you know, if I was going to recommend, uh, I think number one would be some sort of marketing automation software. So not a straight email, you know, email software like Aweber or MailChimp, yeah. but going and getting, I'd say active campaign. That's the best one I've seen that I've, uh, I've played with so far. Um, just because you can set up all these different campaigns, yeah, everything we've been talking about, you can get really, really advanced with it. So that would be number one. Uh, other than that, I mean, I use I use Google Docs a ton to to plan things out and make sure everything's running smoothly. I use Evernote. So if you if you took my Evernote away from me or Google Docs, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. I like everything would just be gone. Plus one to active campaign in the comments there as well. That's interesting. Um, so you talk about marketing automation. Uh, have you tried HubSpot at all? Because I mean, they're, they're supposed to be the big player in, in marketing automation, aren't they? Uh, yeah, I have. I haven't tried them, but I have heard of them. I've got some sort of friends who use them. I there was, just read an interesting blog post from, I can send it to you, from I think it's Justin Brook, who just left Hub, uh, HubSpot. He said it was all good. He upgraded to the enterprise plan and it just didn't work out for him. It kind of got a little bit... Um, it's a bit too much, and then it was just a little bit difficult to downgrade for him. So HubSpot's expensive, and it and for a lot of businesses, it's going to be overkill. For uh, for online retailers, uh, you know, to go to the you know that I'm using, like I say, Clavio. If you're doing consulting, probably something like Active Campaign. I think Infusionsoft gets. Um, I honestly don't understand why Infusionsoft gets gets such a high rating around here. Infusionsoft's usually on par with HubSpot. That's why I usually hear people compare them to um, HubSpot. To me, seems overpriced for what you get. Okay, interesting, interesting. Well, you've um, shared a lot of links there, so I'll um, chase around the web for them and I'll, I'll leave the notes um, in uh, the show notes of the show. But moving on to... I wish I would have. So I'd like you to look back in the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Um, <laughs> some of this we chat about at the beginning. I, I wish I chose a clear target customer. So I wish I built a brand or I built a company around serving one customer right. uh, instead of you know doing a certain thing. So I built this brand around email marketing when it would have been better off if it was a brand around uh, people who had sold, who primarily sold nutritional supplements online or who primarily uh, were beauty and cosmetic companies or who worked in the financial industry or something like that. I should have done that. That's one thing I, I wish I would have done. Uh, recurring revenue is something I wish I did from the start as well. So built a model or you know built a business model on um, with some kind of recurring aspect, and then the third one is really just a general mindset one, which is just sticking with stuff. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of different projects and and launched a lot of different things, uh, but a lot of things have just sort of fizzled out, and not because that you know they were bad, but it was I think it was just after two or three months I got bored, I got frustrated, it got hard, and maybe I didn't want to you know continue to grind. I wanted to feel really smart. I don't really know why, but what I need to do, you know, what I wish I did was uh, pick one thing and just grind and grind and grind. So how do you make yourself? Approach. How do you make yourself stick with something now? I think it comes back to a change in mindset. Um, you know, I'm reading a really good book right now, which is on this exact topic called Mindset by Carol Dweck, I think is her name. Okay. And she's uh, it's basically about the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. The fixed mindset says, you know, whatever amount of intelligence or brains or, you know, all that sort of stuff that you have right now is completely fixed. You can't improve that. You can't get better. The reason people are successful is because they were born with some innate thing. And when people are like that, they usually, you know, when things don't work out for them, they don't work harder. They usually just go and find something else that's going to make them feel smart. 
On the other side, you've got the growth mindset, which just looks at everything like the only reason you don't have something or you're not good at something is because you just haven't put in the time and the effort to get there yet. And so while some people are sort of naturally gifted at certain things and pick them up faster and maybe have a few more brain neurons to, you know, calculate things in their head, um, you know, a lot of us can, you know, a lot of skill and being good at something just comes down to working hard for a long, long time. And so when you look at it like that and shift the mindset from this fixed mindset of I should be, you know, I should have figured this business thing out already. I should have made X amount of dollars already. I should have done all these different things already. You start to look at it and go, okay, well, okay, I haven't gotten the the dream result that I sort of set out to get yet. And instead of beating myself up and feeling like a failure because of that, I can just go, well, it makes complete sense. I made some mistakes and some poor decisions and that, and, and there was all these reasons for why I made those mistakes and decisions. And you know, I think everyone has to make certain mistakes and decisions. Some people make those early, some people make them later. And sort of looking at it that way now means that, you know, when it comes to sticking with something, I'm not looking at it like if I haven't figured out a paid traffic campaign in two months, I can be like, well, I just need more experience. I don't mm. need to go and find something else. I'm not bad at it because I'm, you know, cursed to being bad forever or anything. I just need to put some more time into it. And so looking at it that way means that you don't, you don't give up because your identity is not on the line. You're not failing because you suck. You're failing just because you, you just haven't had enough time involved there. It's, it's maturing versus having the natural traits of an entrepreneur that likes to jump about and go all over the place, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I wonder, you know, I really wonder about that, that whole like natural traits of the entrepreneur. And, and this is what the book's about, that people often look at uh, guys like John McEnroe and, and, you know, really talented people and think that, you know, talent's really what it's all about. If you don't have the talent, you can't make it. But if you look at all these different, like real, real world examples, the people who had lots of talent, like you know, guys like John McEnroe, and you know, there's some other um, good examples, but who had a lot of talent but didn't learn how to work out, didn't understand that that it was really about the work mm. and not about the talent. They usually fell from favor eventually. They made some mistakes. They didn't stay on top for as long as they could. They certainly didn't maximize the potential. On the other hand, you've got people who, you know you know, at the start of their careers and whatever they were doing, they were terrible. They, you know, they were really bad. There's Michael Jordan who got kicked out of his high school team. There's, uh, you know, like I said, there's a lot of different examples in this book and hard work and effort and being willing to just invest more and more and more usually or almost every time beats the talented person. Well, I'll have to look up this uh, book actually because um, um, last month I read the the um, the one thing. This month I'm reading the hundred dollar startup. Um, I'm doing this yeah. podcast with some other podcasters in the UK called Business Book of the Month. Actually, and we're doing a blab here about it as well and reviewing it. So I'll look up that book and maybe we'll do that in the future as well. Awesome. Oh, moving on to the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions. Just two rules here. Try not to think about the answer too much, and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. Ready to go? <laughs> let's do it email or twitter email audio or video audio affiliates or display advertising display facebook or google plus facebook online press releases or one-on-one -on -one relations one-on-one -on -one relations paid search or seo Page search. Email contact form or telephone number? Email contact form. Website or app? Website. Social subscriber or email subscriber? <laughs> no, email. <laughs> and local marketing or global marketing? Depends on the business. Okay, that can be a both. 
that, that was fairly easy for you there as well. Um, so you definitely went for audio over video. Um, obviously, you've got an audio podcast. I'm just going to have to uh, take off the um, Facebook or Google Plus question, I reckon, in the future, because um, the last 20, 20 or so people that I've done it to have just, just laughed. Well, obviously, it's Facebook. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone left that's going to say Google Plus to that one anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, um, moving on to... That $10,000 question. So if I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? In the next few... How long have I got? Like until Sunday or something? Yeah, seven, say seven days or so. I'd probably drop whatever, you know, all the projects that I have going on at the moment for the next seven days. I'd build a, you know, I'd finish building out a, a sales funnel I'm building on Facebook right now. And then I just put it all into, you know, paid advertising, Facebook advertising, LinkedIn advertising. I just drive a ton of traffic at, uh, at the landing page, run some split tests and I do it like that. Okay. Interesting. And you're finding Facebook working for any industry or is it only just specific industries that are working particularly well on Facebook? I'm... So I'm not running any major campaigns at the moment, but I'm putting together a campaign right now, B2B style. And everyone that I've spoken to uh, finds that anyone who's anyone, basically, um, has been telling me that, yeah, anything works on Facebook. You just got to know the right approach. And the reason why is just because there's probably a billion people on Facebook. Everyone's on Facebook. Um, so it just can, you know, can work for almost anything. Um I'm yet to test it for for you know the the funnel that I'm putting together right now. So it may you know it may not work. But I, I've already spoken to people that are closing big deals, um, you know, with customers that are spending you know hundreds of thousands of dollars with them over the lifetime of the client, you know, the relationship, and they're starting those relationships on Facebook. So there's no doubt that it works. Okay, and is it is it newsfeed um, advertising you'd focus on rather than actually the banner ads at the side or Correct. it is yeah okay yeah that, that's the same kind of thing that i'm hearing from a lot of people as well um i spoke to dennis Yu, um a, a facebook um specialist marketer and um asked him whether or not it was just business to consumer that was working on facebook and he was going no no that's that's the big secret b2b does work you know but you just go do it like do it right hmm Okay, uh, which just takes us on to... My number one takeaway. So, um, John, um, you've offered a lot of great advice in our conversation, but what's the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listeners need to take away and implement in their own businesses? You know, when I think about the the last three or four years uh, of, of doing this and playing this game, I think that the biggest thing that would have changed everything else would have been sticking with stuff. And not just sticking with one business because I've stuck with one business for the last, you know, three years. You know, this, you know, the McMethod. I've had that for the last three years. And it's not just sticking within one with one business, but sticking with one project within the business. So I started, you know, a Facebook campaign, a paid community. I did some high ticket consulting, and then I'd go back to the paid community, and you know, I kept spreading myself thin like that. And so while I felt good that I was focused on one business, I wasn't really that focused because I'd do something for a few months, then go, this isn't really working. Let's do something else. And so, so my advice to, you know, to myself from four years ago, the one big takeaway would be whatever you pick, if other people are making money with it, there's a good chance that it's working. And so if it's not working for you within three months, the problem isn't you. The problem is that you just haven't figured out how to make it work yet. And the solution then is not to go and try something different. It's to keep working on that thing and feel the pain of, of, you know, being dumb, of, you know, failing at it, of having to grind just like everyone else does, feeling like you're not as smart as you like to think you are, all of that. Um, I think that would be the the one big thing that would change, that would have 
changed a lot for me over the last few years. Not technology, not some tactic or something like that, but just the willingness to commit to something and stay with it until it works. Until it works. There's, there's, there's never a time to quit, maybe after a year or after two years or something like that, do you, do you think? I don't know. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I think there is, I mean, you know, it, this is one of those things, right? There's not really any hard line where, where, you know, where you should quit. Like, you know, a guy like Elon Musk, who I think a lot of people really admire, I, I admire him for what he does with, you know, SpaceX, you know, Elon Musk, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So Elon Musk, right? He did three, I think it was three or four launches uh, with SpaceX mm. and every single one of them failed. And he was he was just pissing away his entire fortune that he'd built with PayPal and Zip32. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars that he was just throwing away into the wind on this ludicrous idea of building spaceships that were you know by with, by a private company. And after three failed rocket launches, I'd say everyone was telling him that it, it was time to quit. You know, it was time to pull back, and he didn't. And now he has now now he has a you know multiple you know multi billion dollar company in his hand with contracts with NASA and now he's working towards taking humans to Mars uh, with the next 20, ten or twenty years. Now we might not get there, but I, I find it interesting that he you know he was in a in a situation where probably everyone with any sort of common sense would have told him to quit, but he didn't, and it worked out. Now I don't know if that's just sort of lucky or a bit of the lottery. I think that it's probably more about. Um, it's not as it's not so much luck because he's done this like three or four times now. Yeah. So, you know, I honestly don't know. People say that you know there's a time to quit. You know, set the end point, and maybe that's true sometimes. And there's not there's no easy answer to that question. You know, I think it depends on the person, the personality, the goals that you have. You know, he was prepared to lose, uh, you know, to lose the company, to go under, to go bankrupt if required. You know, mm. to you know to pursue that goal because because it was so important to him. So. It's it's, yeah. cer- it's certainly an interesting point of discussion, and I would certainly agree with you that the vast majority of people quit too soon, and they would would actually be a success if they if they just kept on going. and And persistence is is absolute key there. And of course, you hear stories about people like Walt Disney going through however many um, banks to actually try and get funding for whatever he wanted to do. And um, um, I don't think the average person would have done that. Exactly. Exactly. So I mean. You know, and I think too, I mean, this brings up a really interesting point. I think with books like The 4-Hour Workweek and the Make Money Online, this world of like, you know, it's the world of the quick fix. Mm. And, you know, our entire sort of, you know, our generation, the computer generation, you know, you know, we've been brought up with, you know, it's this instant world. Everything comes instantly with social media. And also we've all been sold this dream that life's meant to be fun and fulfilling and exciting all the time, that we're meant to live our passion, that you know, it's almost like every minute of every day is meant to be, you know, wild and exciting. And if it's not, then you're totally failing at life. And um, that, I mean, that way of looking at it, it's not presented in those terms, but mm. I feel like that's, that's sort of how it's presented. If you're working too, you know, don't work too hard. You know, you're going to die one day. You only live once. Slow down. Take it easy. Relax. And um, I just find that that doesn't, um, that hasn't worked. And I don't find it like it's not a path to happiness, at least not for me yeah. and a lot of people I know as well. So, I, I'm sure I could talk to you for a long, long time about this, but uh, you, you've offered it so much great information already. So um, I, I, <laughs> it's hardly fair to take any more of your time, but um, you, you really have um, offered a lot of um, a great volume. I really thank you for that. So tell you what, just um, why don't we finish off just by asking you about um, your best way to actually reach you, your website, any contact details you want to share? Sure. So... 
you can go to uh, reengager.com. That's R-E-E-N-G-A-G-E-R.com. Uh, that gives you all the information on what we do. There's a podcast there, which you can check out, a white paper. There's a, uh, a blog that's coming along nicely. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, which you can get me at uh, you know, twitter.com slash John McIntyre, so M-C-I-N-T-Y-R-E, underscore at the end, because some other dude took my uh, <laughs> proper name. I got mine uh, back eight years ago. <laughs> lucky uh, or you can email me john at reengager.com if you want to check out the other podcasts that I've done for the last three years um, it's over at themcmethod.com which is the uh, mcmethod.com uh, you can have a look there as well as about 120 I think we're up to 130 interviews there now as well all on email marketing copywriters you know so, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, this is number 127 for me. So I'm uh, just about the same kind of number. Um, and I thought you were actually going to say up to about 100, 120, 130 resources, links that you'd actually mentioned in the show that I've got to go away and find and include in the show notes. <laughs> 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 well, no, it's it's been great though. So thank you. And um, also thank you, dear friend, for listening to us as well. So um, if you like what you heard, send me a tweet, leave me a review. And wherever you're listening to this, uh, say hello somewhere. That'd be cool. And uh, be absolutely fantastic to hear from you and of course it would help other peeps to find out more about the show too and finally i'm also host of another live show every friday called this week in organic so head over to thisweekinorganic.com to find out more about that but that's all for now uh until we meet again adios and just um last to say thank you very much john it was absolutely superb thanks for having me